You are listening to The Pregnancy Podcast with Vanessa Merton. Hello. Thank you for tuning into The Pregnancy Podcast. You can find the full article and resources that accompany this episode at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash TDAP. And that's T-D-A-P. I'd like to thank Mommy Steps for their support of this episode. I've been using these insoles for a few years now, and I don't know how I went without them. I keep some in an athletic pair of shoes, in my running shoes. I also have some in a pair of black flats. I even use them in my Toms. These are comfortable right out of the box, but you can also heat them in your oven and actually mold them to your own feet. And you can do this three times, so you can customize them for each trimester of your pregnancy. The big reason that I started wearing these was I was pregnant and there are a ton of issues that can happen to your feet, like your arch collapsing, getting bunions, going up a shoe size, and wearing insoles is going to help prevent these issues from happening. You can save 20% with the promo code FEET. And to check these out, go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash feet. And if your partner wants to check these out, you can also use the promo code feet and save 20% off with Form Insoles, which is the parent company. Links to all of that are on the website at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash feet. I'd also like to thank Zoller for their support you know you can get 25% off when you buy the vitamin on Amazon. I love Zoller for so many reasons, and they recently reformulated their vitamin and made it even better. They use the active form of folate, which is going to eliminate some risk that can happen with unmetabolized folic acid. That's estimated to be a problem for about half of the population. They also changed the source of their DHA from fish oil to algae. They really pay attention to the details. And you know me, I do my research. I've put a lot of hours into looking into different vitamins, into researching the ingredients in them, and this is by far my number one recommendation. To check out the vitamin and get the promo code to save 25%, go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash vitamin. This episode, we are talking about the Tdap vaccine, and the name Tdap is short for tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. And pertussis is commonly known as the whooping cough. In addition to the flu shot, this is the other vaccine that is routinely recommended during pregnancy. And when I'm evaluating a vaccine or any medical intervention, I run through a series of questions and of course, a lot of research. And this episode is going to follow a similar format that I go through. And some of the questions that I ask are, what are the risks of the illness that the vaccine targets? What's the history of the vaccine? What ingredients are included? How effective is it? And what are the risks and benefits? And maybe most importantly, is what is the safety of the vaccine? I'm sure that you can imagine this involves a lot of research. And I also am going to factor in the particulars of my situation. With the Tdap vaccine, I'd be looking at the status of my current health, 
the likelihood of exposure. That would include things like where I live or places I'm planning to travel to. You get the point. There's a lot of questions, and this involves a lot of research. Before we dive in, I have to address that vaccines are extremely controversial and very complex. There are professionals who spend their lives dedicated to researching and studying vaccines and their safety. And this episode is intended as an overview of the Tdap vaccine. This should give you a good base on the information available, but you have to know that it is impossible to analyze every single study done. And this is not the vaccine podcast. There's a lot of other important topics that I want to dig into and share with you. And I've spent a significant number of hours and days and weeks on this topic. And I hope that you find the information in this episode to be helpful as you are making your own choices about whether or not to get the Tdap vaccine during your pregnancy. Researching vaccines is especially challenging because it's very easy to find yourself on a website that appears to be unbiased. It looks like it's going to have great research. And when you keep digging, you're going to discover that with a lot of these websites, there's an agenda, and it's going to be either strongly pro or con vaccine. And my agenda with this episode is to help you sift through all of the data out there and to educate yourself so that you can make an informed decision. And these are decisions that you should be talking about with your doctor or midwife. I can't possibly cover every facet of this topic. And if you have any further questions or any concerns, please bring them up with your care provider. I'm not for or against this vaccine, but I do strongly believe that you should be able to make the choice as to whether or not you receive any vaccine or any medical intervention. And I know that if you're listening to this podcast, that you're making an informed decision and not one based on fear. And I know that it's really easy to let fear drive decisions, especially when you're talking about vaccines. Okay, that was long enough of a preface to this episode. So let's dive in. Vaccines were first created way back in the 1790s, and this happened with the smallpox vaccine. So these are not a new intervention, although we have seen their growth increase as new vaccines have been created. In order to understand how vaccines work and some of the language that we use when we talk about the risks and the benefits, I want to lay a little bit of foundation. A vaccine is created by taking a weakened or a killed form of some disease-causing microorganism and then using either microbes from the organism or its toxins or one of its surface proteins And then that is given as an injection that's going to cause your body to produce antibodies against that organism and to provide immunity without actually inducing the disease. And what this basically means is that when a vaccine is introduced into your body, then your body is going to create antibodies to fight it off. The amount of the microorganism that's in the vaccine shouldn't be enough to actually give you the disease. But once you build up that immunity, If your body is ever exposed to that microorganism again in the future, your body's going to recognize it and it's going to be able to fight it off. And in some cases, your body develops immunity for the rest of your life after a vaccine. And in some other cases, immunity is only for a limited time. 
in which case you may need a booster shot. And this is the case with the Tdap vaccine. And that's why it's recommended that you get it in every pregnancy. There are several different types of vaccines. An inactivated vaccine uses microorganisms that are no longer alive. In this case, the microorganisms are killed with heat or radiation, chemicals, or antibiotics. Some examples of an inactivated vaccine is the flu and the pertussis or the whooping cough vaccine boostrix, which we'll talk about. Attenuated vaccines are live vaccines. These can be cultured to have some of the properties disabled so that they're not going to actually give you the illness, or they're going to be really closely related to the virus, just enough to give you that immune response, but not enough to make you sick. And an example of this is the nasal spray flu vaccine, which is attenuated. Toxoid vaccines are made from toxic compounds that cause an illness. This would be something like tetanus or diphtheria, which is in the Tdap vaccine. And these subunit vaccines are made from proteins of an organism. So they're just taking a part of that organism and using it in the vaccine. Depending on the type of vaccine, there are additional ingredients that are added, and this can include adjuvants, stabilizers, and preservatives. An adjuvant is going to enhance your immune response. An example of this would be aluminum, which is commonly added to vaccines. Stabilizers are going to increase the storage life of the vaccine so that it can be safely stored from the time that it is manufactured until it is actually at your doctor's office and administered to you. And preservatives allow the use of multi-dose vials. And this is where one vial contains multiple doses for multiple people. They're going to use a new sterile needle to draw out a dose from that multi-dose vial anytime that they use it. But those do require an additional preservative so that it is going to prevent the growth of bacteria and fungi. Antibiotics may be added to vaccines to prevent the growth of bacteria. Egg protein can be included. This is the case with a lot of flu shots because the virus is grown using chicken eggs. Formaldehyde may be used to inactivate bacterial products in some toxoid vaccines. It can also inactivate unwanted viruses or bacteria that can contaminate a vaccine during production. And formaldehyde is also used as a preservative. This is the case in the Boostrix Tdap vaccine. MSG, which is monosodium glutamate, can also be included. And that's as a stabilizer for heat, light, humidity, or acidity. And sometimes it's also used as a preservative. And thimerosal, which is an antimicrobial, that contains mercury, and that's added to multi-dose vaccines to prevent contamination and growth of potentially harmful bacteria. And putting mercury in vaccines has been pretty controversial, and it's been removed from most vaccines, but it is still included in the multi-dose flu vaccines. That's a lot of ingredients that I just ran through that could potentially be included in a vaccine. I'm not going to do a deep dive into the safety of every single one of those. I'm sure that you have more important things to do than fall asleep listening to this episode. 
Don't worry, I will dive deep into the safety of the Tdap vaccine and talk about the specific ingredients included in your options for that. When you're talking about getting immunity from a vaccine, there are a few different classifications of immunity. Individual immunity is when an individual becomes immune because they received a vaccine. Passive immunity happens when you get a vaccine during your pregnancy, and then the antibodies that you produce are going to be passed to your baby, either through the placenta or in colostrum, if you get a vaccine and then were to breastfeed. And herd immunity occurs when a large enough percentage of the population is vaccinated that in effect, it's going to protect the whole population. And especially, it's going to protect those who cannot receive vaccines. When you're talking about trying to eradicate a disease, herd immunity is a big part of that. And this is something that only applies to contagious diseases. I mentioned that herd immunity protects people that can't receive a vaccine, and that could apply to somebody who is too young for a vaccine, so small children, or people who cannot receive a vaccine because of a medical reason, like a compromised immune system, or somebody who had an allergic or an adverse reaction to a vaccine in the past. And these individuals really rely on the immunity of the population as a whole to protect them. I am going to talk quite a bit about CDC guidelines, because this is likely what your care provider is going to be going off of when they are recommending vaccines for you during your pregnancy. And of course, we know that the CDC is interested in protecting the whole population. They're really advocating for that herd immunity. And I know that your concern, understandably, just like mine was when I was pregnant, is going to be you and your baby. And we're going to dig deep into that and really go beyond those benefits of herd immunity. The Tdap vaccine protects you from three different illnesses, tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. Tetanus comes from the Clostridium bacteria, and this lives in soil that is contaminated with manure from animals or potentially from humans. And this bacteria is dormant in the soil but it can enter your body through a cut on your skin. And once it's in there, it can germinate or become active in an anaerobic environment, meaning that there's not oxygen. We often think of tetanus as coming from stepping on a rusty nail. And in that case, that sharp nail is going to create a deep puncture wound, which becomes a great anaerobic environment. And then that nail being rusty is theoretically dirty, so it could be contaminated with that tetanus bacteria. And once it becomes active in your body, it can cause really painful muscle tightening and stiffness, usually all over your body. It can lead to tightening of the muscles in your head and neck so that you can't open your mouth or swallow, and sometimes even affects your ability to breathe. And tetanus is sometimes known as lockjaw. The good news is that tetanus is pretty rare in the U.S. today, but the bad news is that it can cause death, so it is pretty serious if you are infected with tetanus. 2015 is the most recent year that data was available from the CDC on infection rates, and they reported 29 infections for that year, with a total of two deaths. And in other parts of the world, tetanus is more common. 
I found on the World Health Organization website, they estimated in that same year, 2015, that there were over 34,000 newborns that died from neonatal tetanus. And remember, that's the same year that we only had 29 cases reported for all ages and only two deaths total. So in other parts of the world, tetanus is a much bigger problem. Diphtheria is extremely rare in the United States. Over the last 50 years, there have only been a total of five reported cases in the United States. This was a much bigger issue before vaccines were introduced. In other parts of the world, like tetanus, it is more common. In 2016, the World Health Organization reported that there were 7,100 cases. And diphtheria can cause a thick coating to form in the back of your throat, which can lead to breathing problems, heart failure, paralysis, and death. The third thing that's included in this vaccine and the main aim of the Tdap vaccine is pertussis, which is also known as whooping cough. This is a highly contagious respiratory tract infection. And this is caused by bacteria that becomes airborne when somebody who's infected with pertussis coughs or sneezes. Within 10 days of becoming infected, the first signs that you would see would be similar to cold or flu symptoms, a runny nose, nasal congestion, red watery eyes, a fever, and a cough. But as this goes on, after a week or two, those signs and symptoms are going to get worse. And a thick mucus can accumulate inside your airways, which can cause uncontrollable coughing, hence the name whooping cough. And when an infant has pertussis, they may not cough at all. They might just struggle to breathe or even temporarily stop breathing. The Tdap vaccine is recommended for all pregnant women during each pregnancy. And it's given via an intramuscular injection in your upper arm and usually in the third trimester. And that runs from weeks 27 to 36. When you get this vaccine, the antibodies that your body creates are going to be highest two weeks after you receive the vaccine. And this is an inactivated vaccine, so it does not contain any live bacteria. The first trimester is often seen as the most vulnerable for your baby. This is when they're at the highest risk for having an acute inflammatory response, when they're at the highest risk for exposure to anything that could cause a birth defect, and when they're at the highest risk for developing a congenital abnormality, which would be any abnormality that they're born with. And this is one of the reasons that it's recommended that you don't get the Tdap vaccine until later in your pregnancy. One additional consideration that you may have with timing your Tdap vaccine, if you do decide to get it, is whether to get it at the same time as the flu vaccine. According to the CDC, you can get these two at the same time, but I did find in one clinical trial that's disclosed in the insert in the Tdap vaccine Adacel, they found that when the Adacel vaccine was administered at the same time as the flu vaccine, there was a lower antibody response for the protectin antigen compared to when the Adacel vaccine was administered alone. And the protectin antigen is one of the things that helps you to develop immunity for pertussis. So if you're getting the Tdap vaccine primarily for immunity for pertussis, 
and your immune response could be impaired by getting that at the same time as the flu shot, that may be something that you want to talk to your doctor or midwife about. I always like to look at what the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommends, and they support the recommendation that all expecting mothers receive the Tdap vaccine during pregnancy. They state that pregnant women should be counseled that the administration of the Tdap vaccine during each pregnancy is safe, and it's important to make sure that each newborn receives the highest possible protection against pertussis at birth. Remember, that's that passive immunity. And it may seem strange that the Tdap vaccine is recommended during pregnancy, partially because two of the three illnesses that it protects against are nearly non-existent. And the main reason that it's recommended is for pertussis and that passive immunity that your baby receives. Unfortunately, a vaccine just for pertussis alone is not commercially available for use in pregnant women. So for that reason, countries that recommend a pertussis vaccine during pregnancy use this combined Tdap vaccine. When you're looking at the risks of a baby getting pertussis, the younger that a baby is when they get whooping cough, the more likely it is that they're going to need to be treated in a hospital. And around 42% of babies under six months who get the whooping cough do end up in the hospital. The CDC keeps statistics of cases of pertussis every year. In 2018, there were a total of 13,439 reported cases in the United States. This was down from almost 19,000 the previous year. Looking at those 2018 numbers, 12.5% of the babies that got pertussis were under one year of age, and over half of those were admitted to the hospital. And the CDC extrapolates these numbers to estimate the number of deaths per 100,000 cases, and they estimate it to be four deaths of children under one year per 100,000 infections, and six deaths per 100,000 of people that are over one year old. I mentioned that the cases of pertussis decreased from 2017 to 2018, and in the few years leading up to that, there were even higher cases of pertussis, and there were some outbreaks going on in various places in the U.S., and that really sparked a lot of pressure from the medical community to get this vaccine during pregnancy. Keep in mind that when your baby's born, they don't really have much of an immune system. And that passive immunity that they get when you get the vaccine theoretically should protect them until they are old enough to get the vaccine for themselves. And the pertussis vaccine is not recommended for children until they're about two months old. The American Academy of Pediatrics also supports the Tdap vaccine during pregnancy. They cite a 2017 study that found that the maternal Tdap vaccine was 91.4% effective during the infant's first two months of life and 69% effective during the first year. As far as vaccines go, that's pretty high effective rates, definitely higher than you see with the flu shot where the effectiveness last year was only 29%. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists 
is pretty clear in their recommendation for the Tdap vaccine to protect infants through passive immunity. And they note that that window between when a baby is born and when they're two months old, when that pertussis vaccine is recommended for infants, is a window of significant vulnerability for newborns. They state many of whom contract serious pertussis infections from family members and caregivers, especially the mother or older siblings. And as a side note, the pertussis vaccine for children is not technically Tdap, it is DTAP, which differs a little bit from the vaccine for adults. ACOG goes even further to recommend that partners, family members, and any caregivers of an infant should also be offered the Tdap vaccine if they have not been previously vaccinated. And they say ideally all family members should be vaccinated at least two weeks before coming into contact with the newborn. The latter part of this recommendation may pose some additional challenges for you. It's one thing to decide if you want to get the vaccine and completely another thing to recommend that your family or anyone who's going to be spending a lot of time around your baby gets the vaccine too. When you're looking at your options for the Tdap vaccine, there's two manufacturers that make this. Both were approved and have been in use since 2005. So these have been on the market for a while. The first is Adicel, which is made by Sanofi Pasteur. This is pregnancy category C, which means that animal reproduction studies have not been conducted with this vaccine. And in the insert, they say that it's also not known whether the Adicel vaccine can cause fetal harm when administered to a pregnant woman or can affect reproduction capacity and that the Adicel vaccine should be given to pregnant women only if clearly needed. And this is the standard pregnancy category C disclosure. Adicel does not contain a preservative, and the ingredients included in it are 1.5 milligrams of aluminum phosphate, that's the adjuvant, and less than 5 micrograms residual formaldehyde, a very tiny amount of residual glutaraldehyde, and 3.3 milligrams of phenoxythanol, which is not used as a preservative, although most of the time when that is in vaccines, it is used as a preservative. Your other option for the Tdap vaccine is Boostrix, and this is produced by GlaxoSmithKline. This is pregnancy category B which means that toxicity studies have been performed in female rats. And in these studies, they used a dose of approximately 40 times the human dose. And it revealed no evidence of harm to the fetus due to the Boosterix vaccine. Each dose of this contains aluminum hydroxide as the adjuvant, 4.4 milligrams of sodium chloride, less than 100 micrograms of residual formaldehyde, and less than 100 micrograms of polysorbate 80. I know that in talking about the ingredients included in these vaccines, aluminum is kind of the only easy thing to pronounce, maybe that and formaldehyde. Let's talk about the safety of these vaccines. There have been several studies in recent years that have looked at the safety of the Tdap vaccines during pregnancy. An observational study that was done in California between 2010 and 2012 
actually included over 123,000 expecting mothers. Of that group, 21% received the Tdap vaccine. And the researchers found that the vaccination was not associated with an increased risk of adverse birth outcomes. And they specifically looked at small for gestational age births, chorioamnionitis, which is an infection, preterm birth, and hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. The researchers did detect an increased risk of being diagnosed with chorioamnionitis following the vaccination. It was 6.1% in the group who received the Tdap shot and 5.5% in the group that did not. I also came across a systematic review that looked at the safety of this vaccine. And honestly, I was on the fence about actually including it here. It's really frustrating when research is stuck behind a paywall because one, it can be expensive to access these studies. And even if I can access them, I can't share them publicly to give you full access after I have purchased them. I am extremely careful to read full studies and not just go off of abstracts or summaries, and this is not an exception. Plus, this study was in part funded by the two manufacturers who produced the vaccine. I always like to look for those biases or conflicts of interest when I'm looking at research and evaluating it. And for that reason, I think it's worth noting who funded this review, or at least who was giving grants to the schools where they were working on this. In the end, I felt like I had to purchase this study and read through it just to honor my commitment to you to really dig deep into the research. Not surprisingly, the conclusion of this study states that the evidence suggests that the Tdap vaccine administered during the second or third trimester of pregnancy is not associated with clinically significant harms for the fetus or the neonate. They stated that medically attended events in pregnant women are similar between vaccinated and unvaccinated groups. And these results come as no surprise, right? Not to be skeptical, but it's pretty rare that research funded by a pharmaceutical company is published if it finds evidence that could be damaging to the companies who funded the grants that support the research. Maybe I'm a bit of a skeptic here. And I like to look at any study with a critical eye. Overall, the results of this review are good news. There are some additional takeaways from this study that I think are worth mentioning. One was that rates of fever following the vaccine ranged between 1 and 3%. Headache ranged from 2.8 to 33%. Malaise, which describes basically just feeling under the weather or feeling tired, ranged from 0.4 to 33%. Myalgia, which is muscle aches and pains, ranged from 0.8 to 24%. And those are the most common side effects that you can expect from the Tdap vaccine. And what was interesting was that in this review, they note that the wide range between those rates identified in the studies is likely to be the result of different methods that they used to ID those adverse events, the definitions they used, and some variability that would be expected from small sample sizes. But what's interesting is that the reporting of these side effects in the clinical trials that are listed in the inserts for both the Adacel and the Boostrix tended to either be at the upper end of these ranges or even over the rates that were found in the studies that they covered in the review. 
And this review addresses a really great point that we need to keep in mind when we're looking at studies on pregnancy. They note that observational research has been the mainstay of evidence available for women vaccinated during pregnancy. And they go on to say that although observational evidence is important when assessing those harms, that the lack of placebo-controlled RCTs, or randomized controlled trials, means that it's critical to understand the limitations of the evidence presented by the findings in this review. The reason that we see observational studies so often is a result of the cost. It's much cheaper to do an observational study than it is to do a placebo-controlled trial for ethical considerations. Ethically, you cannot put expecting mothers into drug trials where their babies could potentially be harmed. And overall, just the underrepresentation of pregnant women in clinical trials. And this is something that we see constantly when we're looking at research during pregnancy. It's very difficult to find a black and white answer to these tough questions on vaccines. And the truth is that the answer is not black and white. I know that in a perfect world, we have assurance that any intervention is 100% safe, especially when you're pregnant, and it just isn't that way. And this is where you making informed decisions can be challenging. Sometimes it's just a lot easier to go with the flow and just do what your doctor or midwife recommends. And I know that it takes work to educate yourself on these topics and to really look at and weigh all of the risks and benefits to make a decision that you are going to feel confident about. Vaccines are an interesting debate because you really have to weigh the potential risks of the vaccine with the potential risks of the illness that the vaccine is designed to protect you or your baby against. And ultimately, there's going to be risk no matter what you choose to do. And you have to decide for yourself what you're comfortable with. You have a lot of evidence and information after listening to this episode. And hopefully this is going to help you decide whether the Tdap vaccine is right for you. Even if you're not exactly sure which way you want to go, you should at least have a basic understanding and some confidence that you can have a conversation about this with your care provider. And with anything pregnancy related, this should be an informed consent decision. And you do have the ability to opt in or opt out of this vaccine. Please do talk to your doctor or midwife about the Tdap vaccine. If you have any concerns, bring them up. If you want to consider a specific brand of the vaccine over another, talk about that. Your care provider is your trusted partner during your pregnancy, and their opinion is definitely worth hearing. And please discuss any questions, no matter how small or silly they seem. To recap today's episode, we went pretty deep on the Tdap vaccine. We talked about exactly what tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis or whooping cough is. We talked about the vaccine, your options for that, the safety on the vaccine. And hopefully this gives you some clarity as to what your decision is going to be with getting that Tdap vaccine during your pregnancy. I want to thank you for tuning into the pregnancy podcast today. I hope that you find this episode helpful. As always, you can contact me, Vanessa, at pregnancypodcast.com. 
You can read the full article and resources that accompany this episode at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash TDAP. Thank you to Mommy Steps for their support of this episode. There are so many issues that can happen to your feet when you're pregnant, and wearing insoles that have arch support are going to help protect you against that. Go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash feet and use the promo code feet when you check out to save 20%. And you can also use that same promo code on the parent website for form insoles. I also want to thank Zoller for their support. You know you can get 25% off when you buy that vitamin on Amazon. For the promo code and more info, you want to go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash vitamins.